Well, hello, it's Coach Tim once again, and we have a very, very special guest. He has come out of a meeting to talk with us today from UCLA, Head Coach Jim Mora. Welcome. How are you? I'm great, Tim. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate you sharing. We're going to I want the whole reason uh, I want to talk today with you is because you shared so much incredible uh, gold nuggets as I was coaching. I was very blessed to have access to you back when we we coached your kid and you you helped us out and and uh, we're we're very appreciative and and uh, I think it's important to to share and and so I wanted to get into some of these things and and kind of dig deep and. But first, I wanted to get into a little bit of uh, uh, some lighter topics, maybe, and then get into a, a deeper one. For, the first thing I wanted to ask you, Coach, is, you know, uh, you grew up in a football family. What's that like? How, when, when does Jim Mora decide, you know, this is something I kind of want to do? I mean, was it just <laughs> part of the family business? I mean, or, or do you, it, was, was there a process you went through? You know, that's an interesting question because I have two younger brothers and neither of them involved in football. One is an architect and one is a mortgage banker. So uh, for me, it, there was always just a pull towards football and in, and towards coaching. And uh, I toyed with the idea when I was graduating from University of Washington of maybe going in another direction. But I was fortunate coming out of college to get a job with the San Diego Chargers. And I was... Uh, in a role where I was working with the coaching staff and I was also working with player personnel as well as the front office. And what I found is that any time that I had a decision to make or a choice of whether or not I was going to spend time with the coaches, the personnel people, or the front office people, I naturally gravitated towards the coaches. Uh, that was my passion. And uh, I just followed that. I followed my passion. And I was very lucky. I worked very hard, but I, I will say that I was very, very lucky to get some tremendous breaks, um, starting with Don Coriel hiring me with the San Diego Chargers when I was 22 years old, to uh, Dan Henning making me a full-time assistant coach when I was 24 or 25, I believe. Uh, and then along the way, just so many people influencing me and helping me get to uh, a point where I'm able to be a head coach now. Wow, wow, that's uh, that's 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 a great story. Um, you shared some of the things uh, when when we talked. Because I mean, I, I got to talk to you just for everybody listening. I got to talk to you. I mean, we, at like ten o'clock at night after after a football practice because you were talking to me about your kid, Ryder, uh, about his paperwork, right, or something like that, <laughs> like as a parent. And one of the things I got to say that I noticed. Um, you know, a lot of coaches uh, that I've noticed, not, not all, but a lot, have like one speed, right? They're in, they're in coaching mode like all the time. And one of the things I notice with you is, uh, hey, when we're talking football, I mean, the, the, the speed, the cadence of, the, of your speech goes up. You know, it's exciting, it's passionate. And then you talk about your, you would talk about your kids, and you because you were telling me about them as we were getting ready to, to start, and you're sharing with your kids, and you go into a different tone, and I'm like, wow, that's there's a father there, and then there's a coach, and it was something that I was very impressed by. I got to tell you, and I wanted to share that with you because I've never told you that. Um, tell us about your kids. Uh, you have some 
some sports kids. Uh, mm-hmm. some, some children. good right now with Ryder. Yeah, I, I'm, I have four tremendous young, they're tremendous children. Uh, Shannon and I are very blessed to have, you know, four kids that are doing well and they're healthy. And uh, we recognize how blessed we are to have this situation. My oldest, Cole, played uh, soccer at Claremont McKenna. Uh, was a captain, a uh, very good player. Uh, I thought that he exercised great decision-making in the recruiting process, recognizing that he probably didn't have D1 talent. Uh, he had the grades to get into any school in the country. He was accepted by Stanford, Harvard, Cal, UCLA, you name it. He could have gone there, but he would have gone in as a walk-on. And, and he decided to go to a D3 school, Claremont McKenna, which is obviously a great academic institution, and p- pursue his dream of playing college soccer but still having some balance in his life where he could pursue his academic goals as well. So to me, that was just a great decision. My daughter, Lilia, was a good high school athlete who just said, you know what, I'm, I'm done playing sports, and uh, she's at USC now. And then Ryder, who you coached and you know very well, uh, and was a good football player, he pursued a career in lacrosse and uh, got a scholarship to University of Maryland, which is one of the premier lacrosse teams in the country, and he's going to go there and play. So really interesting kind of contrast between Cole, my oldest, and Ryder, my third. And then I have a, a fourth, Trey, who's 14, and Trey is spirited and competitive and uh, really good football player, lacrosse player, surfer, uh, probably the most competitive of my kids. But, you know, you mentioned being a parent and being a coach, and sometimes that's something I struggle with. Um, when do I parent them and when do I coach them when we're talking about athletics? And uh, I was lucky when I was in junior high to be coached by a man named Bruce Brown, who's still a real influence in my life to this day. And he has just stressed to me and to others that he's touched, you know, coaches coach, parents parent, officials officiate, players play, try to keep them separate. And, you know, even though I'm a coach, when I am talking to my kids, I'm their dad. And I need to speak to them as a father would, not as a coach would. And I, I try my best to do that. And I fail often, but I, I try to do my best. Well, good. It's it's impressive. And well, let's let's get uh, let's get into some of the stuff that uh, that that's football stuff, Coach. Um, one of the first things that uh, I remember talking to you that. I've heard this this saying before, but I, I, I didn't really ever put it into perspective or really knew what it meant. And, and you had told me that uh, I think you were with the Niners and you went into a playoff game with only two defenses. And, and you told me, you said, because I wanted us to play fast. Can you explain right. what that means? Well, I, I think when you know what you do, know what to do, you play with certainty. And when you have certainty, you play with confidence. And when you play with confidence, you play fast. And, uh, you know, I had some really good athletes and, uh, I wanted to let them be athletic during the game. I didn't want them overthinking things. And I might've been, uh, exaggerating to say we had two defenses, but it probably wasn't a whole lot more than that. Um, you know, I've been in games where, where I pulled out, you know, made 50 different calls. And I've been in games where I've, as you said, 
called two defenses, and it all depends on the situation and who you're coaching and what their uh, experience is. But the key thing as coaches is not to get too wrapped up in our own ego and trying to be the guru and trying to create things that don't need to be created for your players and putting them in the best position to have success. And I think sometimes what that means is minimizing the things that you're asking them to do from a mental perspective. Um, when you have great athletes, I think you can simplify it. I think you always have to have a foundation of things that you, you excel at. And, uh, and that's kind of my philosophy towards that. Um, I haven't deviated much from it. You know, we, we don't want to be so simple that people can figure us out, but we want to be uh, concise enough in what we're doing that our players have a great feel for it a great understanding of it, and then can go out and execute at a high, high level of efficiency and speed. Uh, that, that segues nice into my, my next question. Um, I wrote down here, I said, athletic talent is intoxicating for a coach, right? And I recall uh, one time, in fact, I, I, I recall having the kids uh, ask a set of questions of you because I wanted them to get to know you. It was uh, maybe the third or fourth night we were practicing. And uh, I think I started it off just to kind of seed the questions, and I, and I asked you, uh, uh, you about talent versus what you called intangibles. You said in the NFL they look at tangibles but also intangibles. Can you explain that? Absolutely. I mean, when you're evaluating a player, uh, I think at any level, whether it's a youth football level all the way up through the National Football League, we all recognize speed and size and quickness and the ability to, to catch or tackle or throw uh, or block, uh, the things that are easy to evaluate with our, with our eyes. Uh, but the great players that I've been fortunate to be around um, had a set of intangibles that set them apart. And I've been very fortunate, Tim. Uh, at this point in my career, I've been associated with 21 members of the Pro Football Hall of Fame which are the best of the best. So I've been lucky to be around and be able to observe how the greatest of the great conduct themselves and how they work. And so here at UCLA, we have, we have what we call our Bruin filter, and it's a list of five intangibles that we're always looking for in the young men that we bring into our program. And, uh, you know, those are, those are accountability. Number one, you know, you, you want somebody that you can count on to do it right every time. Someone that's the same guy every single day so that you can plan around them. You want players with a team ego uh, that, you know, are able to, to put aside their personal agenda for the agenda of the team. Now, we here at UCLA will celebrate individual achievement as long as it leads to team success. And that's why I had such a problem with the, uh, the way the NBA team reacted when their player scored 70 points and they lost the game and the celebration of that 70 points. Now, what a remarkable feat. I mean, you can't take anything away from, right. you know, a guy scoring 70 points in an NBA game. Are you kidding me? That's unreal. And just a great individual performance. But I think what just irked me just a tiny bit as a coach and, you know, as someone that looks at all times for examples to show my players of selflessness was that they, they seem to celebrate that in a loss. And uh, I, I struggle a little bit with that, but that, that's just me. So team sure. ego, um, toughness. And, you know, we, we talk about toughness. 
And in football, I think people always assume you're just talking about right, tough guys, you know, nail biters, you know, uh, guys that, uh, you know, can walk over hot coals barefoot. Well, I'm talking about physical toughness, obviously, but more emotional and mental toughness. You know, people that can handle the 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 rigors of this game, especially at the the college level where you're trying to balance academics, you're trying to balance a social life as you move through, you know, an important part of the maturity in your life. Uh, it takes a certain amount of toughness to go out on that field on a Saturday in front of 80,000, 85,000 people in a national television audience and compete against the best in the country. Uh, so we're always looking for, for people who can do that. Um, and then we're also looking for uh, a John Wooden trait, and that's competitive greatness. And uh, you know, that's someone that's at their best when their best is needed. You know, somebody that excels in a competitive, in in the toughest of environments. The harder it gets, the better they play. So, to me, to me, those are intangible. Interesting, coach. In another, I guess I'm asking you to say this in a different, in another way. But what is the difference between? You said you have all those those guys you've been associated with that are in the Hall of Fame. Uh, you've been around the greats. You've been around, around the great coaches. What's the difference between the greats and the the average? Goods. <laughs> Mindset. Um, work ethic. Being able to push through adversity. Uh, being able to stick to a goal. Uh, in times that aren't easy. Um, I think a singleness of purpose at times, and yet flexibility. Um, just an uncommon uh, drive. You know, I, I almost said desire to be great, but an uncommon drive to be great. You know, we all have a desire to be great, or you would hope that we all have a desire to be great. But we don't all have the drive to do what it takes on a daily basis, on a consistent basis to be great. And the ones that I've been fortunate to be around that, that are recognized as great, guys like in, in the, in the um, administrative or coaching world like Bill Walsh or Jim Fanks, two guys that are in the Hall of Fame, just that everyday approach that they brought to their profession. Guys like Ronnie Lott or... Jerry Rice or Steve Young or Chris Dolman or Ricky Jackson or Willie Rowe for, you know, <laughs> Rod Woodson. You know, I've been lucky to be around these guys. The way they approached their their craft every single day. You know, they never they never cut themselves slack. They never gave themselves a break. They always pushed to be better. They were honest with themselves. They knew when they were not living up to the standards that they set for themselves, and they found a way, regardless of how they were feeling physically or emotionally, to overcome it and and find their way towards that standard. And it's it's not easy. It's hard to be great. It is excruciatingly hard, and yet they had the right mindset. So I think it all comes down to your mindset. Now, what drives them to do? Is that that uncommon, what, what did you call it, that uncommon drive to, to be great? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's a, you, we, all, you know, hey, we all want to be great, but do you have the drive? Do you have the inter- internal motivation to be great? And we don't all have that. And, you know, as a coach, I think what's important is you're always trying to bring that out of your players. You're giving them great examples. You're pushing them. 
you're you're celebrating the successes that they have because they are demonstrating that drive. You're coaching them through the times when they are falling short. Um, you force them to set goals and live up to those goals. And, and it's not just set goals, but set goals and then come up with a plan to attain those goals and you hold them accountable. And at this level, you teach them to do that with the hope that at the next level, it's ingrained in them. You know, and, and as coaches at any level, we have that responsibility. You know, we have a term around here that I really like, and it's, um, you know, we're going to be demanding but not demeaning. And it's all in the language. It's all in the presentation. It's how you talk to your athletes. A lot of times I think uh, we approach our interactions from the wrong angle. Um, I always try to think about not what I want to say, but what I want the players to hear, what I want their takeaway to be. So when I'm formulating my message to them or the language I'm using, um, what do I want them to hear? What do I want them to feel? Even if they don't remember my words, what is the feeling that they walk out of that room with? Um, I think that's really important. And like I said, the term being demanding but not demeaning to me is very significant. Yeah, yeah, it it, it is. Uh, and And you kind of answered my next question, which is, can we teach intangibles and make up for for the tangibles at the youth and high school levels? Because we don't, you know, uh, the difference between the youth guy or even the high school guy is uh, is he doesn't have the benefit of being able to go around the country picking, you know, the fourth best right. recruiting class in, in the country. So uh, he gets what he gets. How do you? How, what do you do with that? You work with what you have. I mean, <laughs> you make the best out of it. You recognize um, that you need to create a role for everybody. Make them all feel important. We're certainly going to have different levels of responsibility, but we can all have the same amount of importance to the success of the team. Um, I think that players feed off the energy of the coach. You know, I think our enthusiasm, our energy, our positive attitude. Uh, the way we talk, the way we approach a, a practice, the organization we bring to it, uh, keeping young men, young players, especially at the youth age, engaged. You know, the, the attention span of young people is already small, and it's shrinking by the second because of technology. And so as coaches, we have to adapt to them. And I don't know that they're going to adapt to us. It's a different world we live in. And so, uh, you know, we have to keep them engaged. We have to create energy. We have to create competition. Uh, we have to recognize the kid that maybe isn't as motivated and find something that motivates him to give his best every single day. And we also have to realize that we're not going to have a 100% success rate. We're just not. And that's okay. You know, if a kid doesn't love the sport that he's playing, uh, that's okay. You know, maybe there's another passion in his life that, that he'd rather pursue. And, uh, you know, when guys come into my office and they say, Coach, I just, you know, I, I've given it all I have and I, I just don't love football, I never get down on him. I never degrade him for that. As a matter of fact, you know, if I have witnessed it, I try to celebrate it with him and say, hey, you know what, I, I appreciate your honesty and... How can I help you find your next passion? 
No kidding. That's awesome, Coach. Uh, that's that that just makes me so happy because you know the 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 old world was you know what you're a loser you're you know what are you a wuss and you know that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's and, not true. The only way you're going to get the best out of out of somebody, the best out of yourself, is if you're doing it for yourself. You know, I mean, to me, it's it's that internal scoreboard, it's that internal motivation. Uh, if you're not, if you're doing it for somebody else, uh, you're not going to do it as well as if you're doing it for yourself. Uh, that's my belief. Now, there are external motivations. Certainly, a lot of the young men, men that I'm fortunate to coach. You know, they're doing it for their family. They're trying to, to to raise the level of economic standing for their family. And that's a great motivation. But I still believe that the greatest motivation for all of them is that they they love what they're doing and they want to be great at it. They're passionate about it and they're committed to it. Well, and I, and one of the things I always used to tell the kids is, I mean, you know, practice can really suck unless you love this thing. <laughs> Embrace know, the I mean, suck. I, that's what the that's huh? what the seals say. The seals say embrace the suck, and we say it too. Embrace it, man. Embrace it. It's an it, you know it's an opportunity to, to get better, and it's all about your attitude. And we control our attitude and our effort. And no matter how much you hate it, if you embrace it, you're going to get better. Muhammad Ali had a great quote. You know, he and, I, and I'm paraphrasing here because I don't know it. But, you know, he said something like, I hated every minute of training, the road work, the ring work, the sparring. But I knew I had to do that work so that I could dance under the lights in the ring, you know. And, and that's very, very, a very, very vague and loose paraphrase of what Muhammad Ali said. I have it somewhere here on my phone, but I don't want to take the time to look at it right now. But it's necessary, and, and you have to do it. So if you have to do it, do it as best you can. What the heck? You're there anyway. Go for it. Attack. That's how I feel. Well, okay, you're hitting on some things uh, that I, I hadn't planned on asking, but I'm going to ask you, and it came up in an interview I did yesterday with Kenner Cleveland, and he said something. He goes, you know, he goes, Tim, football's just a metaphor for life. And I almost fell over because I'm like, I'm like where did you get that? You're stealing my words. Because <laughs> I've been saying that forever. How is football a metaphor for life, Coach? Oh, I mean that's that's. There's NFL Films put out a, a great video called "Why I Love Football," and in it, um, you know, guys like Steve Young, and then I'm, I'm his name's escaping me right now, but he was a Southern guy. And he was a head coach at Alabama, and they kind of talk about football as a metaphor for life. And there's so many different levels. First of all, you know, you're talking about bringing people together from all walks of life, all types of backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds, racial backgrounds, religious backgrounds, political backgrounds, um, geographical backgrounds, and you're putting them in a huddle or on a team or on a roster, and you are all in pursuit of a common goal, which is winning football games. And so it forces you to adapt to people that you are not normally uh, exposed to. Um, it teaches you that hard work pays off. It teaches you about discipline. It teaches you to be selfless. It teaches you to get out of yourself and into the team because that's what creates success. It teaches you how to overcome adversity in tough times and persevere. It teaches you how to manage time. Um, 
to me, it, it's, uh, it's an amazing opportunity to just grow yourself as an individual to be in, a, in an environment that football creates. And, uh, you know, I tell our players, um, you will come out of UCLA with a degree and with a background in football that makes you most, one of the most marketable people to businesses around the country in the entire world because of what you've accomplished here. A UCLA degree combined with the things you've learned by playing football, there's not a person in the world that wouldn't want you in their company, in their organization, working for them or leading them. In the right environment, it's the best self-help class than anybody could ever put themselves through, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I, uh, I've often said that a lot of times in my, my own business dealings, I could tell just by talking with a guy on the other line, never met him, first time I've ever talked to him, you can tell they played ball. You just, there's something, there's something in the way they carry themselves, even over the phone. Yeah. Uh, well, it gives you confidence, I think. You know, you learn how to deal with people. Um, you challenge yourself every day. You know, you have to learn how to interact with people that aren't just like you. And so often in society, we surround ourselves with people that are just like you. You know, the, the, once again, the, the Navy SEALs and the military, uh, you know, their term, you know, life begins outside your comfort zone. You know, there's no growth in, in the comforts in your comfort zone. You know, you've got to push yourself out of your comfort zone in order to experience growth. And I think football pushes you out of your comfort zone. Uh, yeah, that's 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 good stuff. It really it really does. And when I look at my own philosophy and I'm like, where in the hell did this come from? It's football, you know, and, and why am I willing to feel uncomfortable in certain situations and other people aren't and I, I wonder about that sometimes and it's got to be you know hey I, I played hurt <laughs> during during that game and it, and I why because I wanted to keep playing I didn't want to be taken out because I love no. the game and yeah. and uh, the side benefit was keep going there's you got way more than you think you do Tim and uh, and so yeah, you know, I, 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 want, I want to lighten this up a little bit. Uh, there was a moment, you know, in youth football, uh, if, if anybody out there has been involved in it, you've you got to be flexible. And uh, every once in a while, uh, the field use uh, would be taken from us because the high school decided they were more important than my eighth-grade team. <laughs> right. and, and so we would have to – kind of get either call practice which uh drove me nuts or we would uh we would make it happen and we did it at uh if you recall we just showed up at Westchester right. Park one night and another time uh when it happened we showed up at the beach yep <laughs> and i'll i'll never forget the look on your face as you you you, you walked on the beach in flip-flops ready to coach football it, it was a, it was I wish I had a photo of it. It was, it was hilarious, but the thing that stood out to me was at that practice, it was okay because most of it was just kind of walk through, and we were installing the defense that you were helping us with, and so you were most of the time way out on the periphery, but at the end of practice, one of the things that I noticed was 
you had mentioned certain things that were happening during that time you were instructing, say, a corner way out there. You knew exactly what was going on in the middle of the field. You knew everything going on, is my point. And I was really impressed by your, what I would call, field awareness, where you're just, you know what's going on, even though you're over here. And a lot, I guess a lot of people, you know, use the, the metaphor in, in sports, so, well, he's, he's the general, right? The head coach is the general, which is kind of cliche-ish, but I'm kind of, I kind of look at it as an analogy uh, that a head coach is, is, is more like a CEO of their team. And um, so one of the things that you told me at one of our many conversations was you said, Tim, I probably do more practice planning in a day, in an afternoon, than a youth coach does in their entire life. And it wasn't a put-down. It was a challenge. And uh, so tell me, what is a practice plan and what goes into it? It's a detailed minute-by-minute, second-by-second organizational structure to get the most out of the time allotted for practice. Uh, And we spend a lot of time organizing our practice so that we are best utilizing every single second that we have with the players on the field. As I said, it's so important to keep them engaged. Um, It's critical that we are organized as a staff. If we are going to ask and demand from our players their best every single second that they are involved with this team, then we have to be able to demonstrate the same thing. And so if we're not organized for practice, if we don't know where to go, if we don't know what the drills are set up to accomplish, uh, if we go into meetings and our film isn't ready to go or uh, the, the PowerPoint breaks down, then we are not creating the example for our players that we are trying to to get them to embrace. And so... You know, as a head coach, it's my responsibility to make sure we're all on the same page, we're organized. And, you know, I've done this my whole life, Tim, so my, I, I, I have wide field vision, as we call it, with quarterbacks. I try to, I can be concentrating on one thing, but, but know what's going on around me. And, uh, you know, I try to notice everything. You know, it doesn't mean I say much, but I try to notice everything, and that's what you have to do as a head coach. But you know, I just have this really firm belief, and it comes from my dad, that if if we are going to demand detailed perfection from our players, then we have to demonstrate it every single second. Because if even once the leader doesn't demonstrate what he's demanding, then credibility goes out the door that that makes a lot of sense um in coaching clinics that i've attended over the years off and on you hear about philosophy and you know i'm an observant guy and i'm pretty decently well read and i use and and i tend to think that that challenge to coaches probably comes from where you're at right now, from Wooden at UCLA, from the, the pyramid of success and, and his, 
and his belief system and 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 and, and, and maybe that's just my limited knowledge of, of the coaching world but uh, it seems like everything goes back to that but I always been told you got to have a philosophy and when I translate that into my non-sports uh, world I, I translate that to mean a, a value system I think is, is the word uh, analogous to that so uh, you know and one time I, I, uh, I had our own coaches do it in the league in our in our youth league, and I got stuff not from everybody, but stuff back like, you know, in so many words like, oh yeah, we bring it and we hit hard, which I don't think is the point of having a philosophy. But I mean, I mean, it could be part of it, obviously. But what is what is your philosophy, and how do we develop a meaningful philosophy that drives the organization? Well, I mean, I think I've talked. You know, a lot, it's hard for me to just talk about my philosophy. I, th- I think in all the questions you've asked, I've tried to to yep. demonstrate it, but it's just um, you know creating a culture that um, has high standards, that has buy-in, uh, that people um, are accountable to each other, that uh, that speak to each other. The right way, you know. There's a, another. I can give you all these little sayings. Um, culture precedes success. If you don't have the right culture, it's tough to have success. Um, language determines culture. You know what you say, what you emphasize. That helps you create your culture. Leaders determine language. So your leaders have to speak it and demonstrate what you're all about every single day. And uh, and that's not just the coaches. That's the leaders on your team, and everybody can be a leader. And leadership doesn't mean saying the right thing. It means demonstrating the right thing. So, anyway. Yeah, there's well, there's a lot of talk, right? I mean, everywhere in yep. sports, there's there's lots of talk, and but the success is always in the ones that are doing, and, and I agree. I mean, the best, the best, way to teach is through demonstration. Um, I want to touch on culture because... Uh, hey, Tim, you know, you, I hate to interrupt yeah. you. I've got the top 2019 quarterback standing outside my office. I was supposed to meet with him at 9.30. Can we cut it off? Or can I call you back <laughs> afterwards? He just Get some in. priorities, Coach. Um, yeah, let's. Uh, I'll cut it off. And if you want to... You know, I had one more question. And uh, Okay. If you're willing to do it, I'll do it. If not, we could end it here. Okay, ask me. Ask me. Right now? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, one one thing you said to me a while back was coaching's not casual. It's no place for cool. If you're not physically and emotionally spent afterwards, then you simply have not coached. That is also within your spectrum of, of culture building, I, I suspect, um, so my question is, and you've demonstrated this through the entire talk, as you said, but my question is, let's, let's pretend for one moment that the UC system says, Jim, you know, you've done such a great job for us. We're starting a new UC school at UC Manhattan beach. <laughs> and we want you to be the head coach there and start the program. 
you're happy to take it. How would you approach this, generally speaking? I know it's a huge, <laughs> detailed answer, but... Wow, that's a good one. Uh, how would I approach... Oh, I'd try to hire the right people that had the same belief system as I did, and we would come up with our philosophy and our approach uh, to how we wanted to build this program, what we wanted to emphasize, uh, what our core values were, our core covenants, if you want to call them that. And then we would start coaching the heck out of people and speaking the right language and demanding, you know, the values that, that we covet. And uh, we'd have guys get on board or get on out, I guess. <laughs> so that you, it's, it, you, you're, you're, Basically, like you said, you're you're there. You're hiring. You're building a, a team around the culture that you just talked about throughout this interview, pretty much, right? Yeah. yeah I mean, I think yeah. you have to have a core set of beliefs. I mean, we call it our core covenants. What are we all about? What are the you know the four cornerstones of our program? What will we accept? What won't we accept? What are we going to emphasize? What's important to our success? How do we define success? What is success for us? And then. How are we going to? Uh, how are we going to go about achieving that success? And that, to me, is creating the right culture, hiring the right people, being demanding, being consistent, allowing the right people into our culture, being diligent about protecting our culture, always cultivating our culture. That's to me what's important. Well, you Never, know what? I, I'll, I, I will uh, let you get back to your quarterback. I really, really appreciate this. And anybody listening, you've just been given coaching 101 through 1001. If you really listen to what's been said and listen to it over and over again, you have a, 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 a track that will make you successful, which is why, Jim, I wanted to get you on. I really appreciate your time. Well, it's been my pleasure. I absolutely thank you. Hey, listen, have a great day, and, and uh, uh, good luck to you. Thanks, Tim. Nice talking to you. Appreciate you having me on. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye.